Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Michelin Cross Climate 2. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Superchargers, headlights, and more. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. With over 122 million parts and eBay guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Or your money back. Plus, with prices that don't break the bank, you can stay on your A-game. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. What's going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, 3 and Out Podcast. Just finishing up this Thursday night game. Three minutes and counting. 34-3. The San Francisco 49ers just absolutely destroyed the Raiders. Uh, pretty wild. I, I didn't quite see this coming. I actually lost a lot of money betting on. I, I bet on the Raiders, and I feel like an absolute moron. I watch A.J. McCarron in the game. Derek Carr pulled. What a disaster for Gruden. We'll get into Gruden here in, in one second. I'm going to hit on Mike McCarthy and just some things I see with this job hunt. I think Mike McCarthy's ultimately going to lose his job in Green Bay. A lot of people are going to put him on Cleveland. And I think let's keep an eye on one other team. Uh, just a couple college football thoughts. Michigan, not only alive and well, I mean, they, they have a, they're on a fast track to the playoffs right now. They control their own destiny. And then, as always, go around the league and hit on... There are actually some really good games. A couple games in the afternoon. Seattle. Uh, the Chargers are going to Seattle. Also, Saints, Rams. That's an excellent game. And then the Sunday night game is just awesome. Green Bay at New England. But th- th- this game, Thursday night football, obviously a little bigger deal for me. I, I live in the Bay Area, so it's two teams combined, two and seven, two and 13. I can't even do my math. Uh, so it's a pretty terrible game on, on paper, and it was even worse to watch. Kyle Shanahan, I, I've been saying it from the beginning, H- him and McVay are the same guy. His team is just terrible. Kyle Shanahan is a big-time football coach. Once they get talent, and this offseason, and once Jimmy comes back healthy, th- they're going to be really competitive next year. Ky- Kyle Shanahan's really good. John Gruden, on the other hand, I, I, I don't – here's the thing with NFL and tanking. These coaches and these players are trying to win. John Gruden, now, 
did he care about winning in 2018? That wasn't his number one priority. It's part of the reason he traded Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. Does he care about winning on Sunday or, for this example, Thursday night? Like, he tried to win this San Francisco 49ers game. And he just got blown out 34-3 to by Nick Mullins. The C.J. Beathard did not start. He couldn't grip a football. Nick Mullins. Most of us have never heard of Nick Mullins. I Honestly, if I didn't live in the Bay Area, I would not know who Nick Mullins was. And he not only just, I mean, he pounded. He, Nick Mullins was 16 of 22 for 260 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, how is that possible? John Gruden left football for 10 plus years, came back for $100 million, and is getting thoroughly embarrassed. And I know Colin always said, and I, I somewhat actually disagreed with him. He, he thought he was going to be an absolute train wreck. I thought John would be a solid coach. He's been terrible. Like, he's not very good. And Colin's main, I guess, you know, kind of statement on him, and, and this is what I do agree with, you can't leave any industry, high-level, you know, billion-dollar industry for that long and come back and just hit the ground running. Like, what, what do you think Andy Reid has been doing for the last 10 years? Bill Belichick, Kyle Shanahan. These guys have been grinding. These guys have been coaching. These guys have been working. J- John Gruden's been in the FFFA or whatever the hell it's called, Watching film, but it's another thing when you actually have a team and you actually get judged on wins and losses and you actually get judged on the outcome of the game. And right now he looks, you know, absolutely just not even arguable, completely over his head. This notion that the Raiders are going to get it fixed with all these draft picks. Have you seen Gruden's resume of drafting players? He's terrible. He's got awful. This Raiders team... They have so much money and so much invested in this move. They are a traveling circus dumpster fire right now, led by John Gruden, who kind of looks like, you know, somewhat of a fraud, somewhat of a guy. And I've had people in the league that told me this forever, and I thought it was somewhat jealousy that he was just living off this hype. Like, what quarterback had he ever saved beside a 33-year-old Rich Gannon? And, I mean, Carr's getting worse. Now they're playing with A.J. McCarron. You know he'll probably trade Carr and have a new guy next year will be worse. I I, I don't know. I mean, this is I, – I did not expect it to be this bad. I, I thought he would be a solid in-game coach. He hasn't been. But to get blown out on Thursday night football by a 1-749er team that's starting a third-string quarterback that's not – he hadn't just never thrown a NFL pass. He'd never taken an NFL snap. Preseason doesn't count. 34-3? I, I don't ever quite remember. Now, it doesn't usually happen. You know, a coach or just any human leaving a business for this long in the prime of his career. You know, when Gruden left, he was in his mid-40s. But to come back and for it to be this bad, for it to be just this over his head, if you fired every coach in the NFL, now Hugh Jackson's already been fired, What? and you just did a fantasy draft based on records, and obviously Mark Davis thinks Gruden's a star. Well, Mark's wrong. Every other owner in the NFL. Would Gruden get drafted? Would people want Gruden to be their head coach? Has anyone ever lost more just buzz and luster with just their name and the gravitas that it held that when you said John Gruden a year ago than when you say it, what is this, his seventh? I guess this is his eighth game. I mean, I, I think he's borderline unhirable. Like Now, obviously, he's not getting fired. He's got a 10-year deal. But just think of how quickly things change. 
And I, I, I'm a big believer that frauds are always exposed. And Gruden was exposed in Tampa, and we just forgot. It's just the way society works. You're not quite locked in on things that happened 10 years ago. Well, we are locked in what's going on now, and it looks like Gruden is beyond over his head, and this is an absolute disaster. One guy we've talked a lot about just because I think everyone agrees that it it, it kind of feels like it's on the last leg of it just run its time is Mike McCarthy and the Green Bay Packers, and we'll talk about that game a little later. But I, sometimes I think just because in just this is the day and age we live in, just because you're first to something means you're the best, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, MySpace came around before Facebook, and Facebook wiped MySpace out. You know, Snapchat, it felt like was much bigger than Instagram five years ago, and Instagram now runs circles around it. But just because you fire your head coach first, I think sometimes when we get a job opening, we think that's the best job. And because that's the only job open, and everyone's going, the Cleveland Browns, they got so much going for them. They got Baker Mayfield, who's a six-foot quarterback that I, I would imagine some around the league are not that you know high on in terms of would have taken number one overall. Their roster is good, but it is historically been, especially in the modern era, a place where coaches go to die. They have one of the most up-and-down emotional owners we've seen in recent memory in all of sports. I think the only person that would be comparable right now would be Vivek Ranadive in Sacramento after he went on a stretch where he fired like four coaches in five years. Jimmy Haslam's on his fifth coach. I mean, he's owned the team six years. It's not not like he's the Roonies or Jerry Jones or Eddie DeBartolo, you know, or the Maras. He hasn't been there that long. To just think because they have a Green Bay general manager and John Dorsey that if Mike McCarthy were to become available, he'd want that job. If I was Mike McCarthy, and again, I'm not saying this team would even want him. I I do think, though, his resume speaks for itself. He's kind of the poor man's version of Andy. When he goes somewhere for a second chance, he will be viewed as a success. To me, the job I'd want, and this guy is surely going to get fired, uh, would be Todd Bowles when he gets fired in New York and work with Sam Darnold. They have a ton of cap space, and to me, Sam Darnold is just on a completely level, different level than Baker Mayfield, and I like Baker Mayfield. But when you factor in, think about this. The Jets, if, if anyone was going to be looking at a job and money was going to be equal, and when we talk about these coaches, we're talking like $6, 7000000 million. You know, most normal people like, like hitting the six-figure mark. But these coaches are picking between a job that's going to pay them 25 guaranteed and 30 guaranteed. So the mon- And they're already super rich. So the money is not a factor. If the money plays zero factor, a couple things would factor in, right? Where do you want to live? And if you're in professional sports, who's on the team? And if you're in football, who is the quarterback is going to matter the most. In the NFL, every team has money, unless you're the Raiders, and then yeah, you might not have that much money. But when you look at the Browns, they do have a lot of money. Jimmy Haslam's really rich. Well, you look at Woody and Chris Johnson, they also have a lot of cash. So money's no issue. I would much rather live in New York, and I would just much rather coach Sam Darnold than I would Baker Mayfield. Now, there is no denying that the Cleveland Browns have a better roster than the New York Jets. But if I look big picture, Belichick and Brady ain't going to be around forever. Kind of feels that way. But one day, that's going to end. And... They're on, like, we always talk, like, the guy's on the back nine of his career. I mean, let's call it what it is. 
Now, the Patriots are probably, if they were an 18-hole career, Brady and Belichick, they'd be flirting with shooting like 59. But they're on hole, even if I give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, like they're putting on hole 16. You know, they're, they're not on hole 12. So that's going to end pretty soon. Miami doesn't have a quarterback and they're kind of in shambles. And the Buffalo Bills, they do think they have a quarterback, but he can't complete passes. Now, I like Sean McDermott, but that division's really easy. If you're choosing the Browns' job, look at the division. Like, the Ravens might fire John Harbaugh. And they're probably going to end up going around 8-8, eight 9-7. Eight, but they're probably going to miss the playoffs. They're still the Ravens. I mean, it's still a pretty, it's still a solid organization. And they do have Lamar Jackson, who I'm not a huge fan of. But, and Joe Flack, like, they, their quarterback situation is not bad. The Steelers are always good. And the Bengals, you, we make fun of them a lot. Marvin Lewis can never win a playoff game. But they're 5-3 and three right now. If they make the playoffs, that'll be Marvin Lewis like eight time in 12 years. Like they, They're good. That division is really hard. So you have a bad owner. It's one of the tougher divisions, if not the toughest division consistently in all of football. Your, your quarterback is a pretty polarizing number one overall pick, right? It's not like, you know, we got to mold this guy like five, six years ago, Cam Newton. But he had all the physical traits. And he's definitely not some can't-miss Andrew Locke prospect. But he's definitely not Jameis, you know, where he does have a lot going for him. But I don't think if you polled everyone in the NFL right now, not in Cleveland, said Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield, they, they wouldn't even hesitate. They, they'd all take Sam Darnold. So if I'm Mike McCarthy, or just any offensive coach for that, uh, for this argument, it, it, it's not like the, the hype and everyone, oh, the Browns job's so sweet. Is it? Like, I've been talking over, the owner's crazy. You have to answer to a general manager. Now, we'll see what happens in New York if they were to get rid of Mike McCagnan. I think Todd Bowles is probably as good as gone. But that would be the job. That's the number one job on the market. To me, that's the job that's like, you, we often talk about college, and we'll get into college football here in a second, like how good a job Oklahoma is, or USC, or Texas, or Ohio State. To me, when you have a franchise with a young quarterback, especially a second-year guy that's 21 years old, that whose ceiling is sky high, a team that has a ton of cap space in a terrible division, like, that's the job. When that boy comes, uh, that, that job becomes available, it does circles around the Cleveland Browns. That For the next month and a half, all you'll hear is the hype about how good the job is. Of course you will. It, it's, it's first. It's the only open job officially right now. Uh, I, I I knew a lot of people that once signed up for MySpace. Then Facebook came around and no one ever talked about MySpace. C- Cleveland is just, get out of here. You know, you don't get to be viewed as a good job because you're not a good job until you prove to be a good job. I, I will never believe that Cleveland, it, the Cleveland Browns could have Andrew Luck and I still would be a little leery. So let, let's pump our brakes. If I'm Mike McCarthy, specifically Mike McCarthy, or any young offensive coordinator around the NFL, the job I'm looking at, the job I have circled, where I want to end up, where I want my future to take off, is the New York Jets. A couple things really quick in college football before we dive in to the NFL games. Uh, pr- really good slate of college football games. Any, anytime you get Alabama, LSU, and both teams. I mean, Alabama's been an elite team for the last 10 years. LSU, a little more hit or miss, but LSU is good this year. I think really good. Joe Burrows, 
who's from Ohio State, now the quarterback there. They have a ton of weapons. Their defense is legit. It's at LSU. The game's at night. I, I think the game's fascinating. And we got Michigan, Penn State. We'll get into Harbaugh here in a second. And I also want to touch on a couple things about USC. But let's start with Harbaugh. I, I cautioned everyone when people tried to destroy him that he's over his head, that he was overhyped. Listen, Jim doesn't make that much sense, his success. He's not an offensive innovator. He's not an offensive play caller. His defense are always good, but he's a former quarterback, and he's not a defensive coach. His teams are always – like, the only thing that really makes sense with Harbaugh is are his teams are tough, and he's a tough guy. But I'll say this. Wherever Harbaugh goes, things consistently say the same. They will run the ball down your throat. They will play with two tight ends and multiple fullbacks. They will attempt to just hit you in the mouth, hit you in the mouth, and then swing again and hit you in the mouth. That's what Harbaugh wants to do. And in a day and age where football has gotten very soft, just the sport has spread out a lot, and many teams are getting away for what Jim Harbaugh does. Run power, put an extra tight end, put an extra offensive lineman on the field. Jim Harbaugh is not shied away. And he got a new quarterback this year that I didn't love, but I will give Shea Patterson credit. As the season has got on, he has got consistently better. And I think in fairness to Shea, and I think what I did and most people did, how difficult it is to come into a new system, to come into a new program. You see it a lot now with these graduate transfers, these just transfers in general. It's, it's start immediately. It's not an easy transition. It is difficult. So he has gotten gradually better every game. He is a really good college player. I don't know if he's a great NFL prospect, but Jim Harbaugh has this season in front of him now to become everything Michigan thought they were getting. He can beat Penn State this weekend, which I think he will do. Then he's got two easy cupcake games, and then he's got Ohio State. Ohio State, has this has been one of the most bizarre football seasons I can remember for an elite head coach. Irving got suspended for three games. They had to fire a position coach for domestic violence who claims that he actually didn't hit her, and Urban still claims that it didn't happen. Just a bizarre situation. Not a healthy situation, just a terrible situation. Then Urban's talking about this cyst and how he might not coaching. There are rumors that he might retire. Like, it is not an ideal situation. Jim Harbaugh has to take advantage of this. I am a Jim Harbaugh truther. I believe in Jim Harbaugh. Where he goes, he wins. It works. Again, it doesn't, like Sean McVay works. Of course he does. He's an offensive genius. You know, Mike Zimmer works in Minnesota. No shit. I mean, he's an elite defensive play caller. You know, Lincoln Riley works. Yeah, he's just an offensive innovator. You know, I, Jim Harbaugh, I don't, I don't know. He's just a tough guy with a chew in his mouth. Just wants to run power. But he hires excellent coaches. He creates a tough mindset six days a week. So when they play on the seventh, that team is ready to go to war. And the opportunity is there. Now, I, I selfishly would love for Jim Harbaugh to get to Levi's Stadium here in Santa Clara, where he was fired from once upon a time with the San Francisco 49ers, is where the national championship game is held. But I'm not even trying to be greedy. I do think he has no excuse to not make the playoffs now. He should win these next three games and go into Ohio State. Might be a slight underdog games on the road, but he can win that game. Nick Bosa's long gone. Urban Myers, from his health issues to his off-the-field coaching issues, has got problems. Like, this team is there to be had. Ohio State just got pounded by Purdue. Michigan do this. But th- this is one of those that, like, if you're an anti-Harbaugh guy, 
if he doesn't beat Ohio State this year, especially if he runs the table and wins these next couple games, he's going to get crushed, and he's going to take some heat. Like, he should take advantage of this situation. Now, the playoffs, if you're playing Alabama, you're playing Notre Dame, like, that's difficult. I, I, I give you somewhat of a pass, not a pass, but I, I don't expect him to win the national championship. But I do think it's fair to hold him to the standard that he should be in the playoffs. He should be a playoff team this year. The other team that is not even close to the playoffs, but it's an over. Not official, but it's unofficially an open job, and that's USC. Sports by Brooks, dude on Twitter that made his name for breaking college news a long time ago, tweeted out this morning that Jack Del Rio is going to be in the mix and thinks he has a legit shot to get it. I would not hire Jack Del Rio. Though, I think he would be much better than Clay Helton. I do think they got to be careful with this. My, my long-standing theory has been John Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, John Harbaugh. And I think John Harbaugh will definitely get an interview I don't know if he'd want the job, but he'll have the opportunity to take the job. When you look at the college program, and the part of the reason that the Pac-12 has fallen off is because USC sucks. They need USC to be good. That is their Oklahoma. That is their Alabama. That is their Ohio State, Michigan. And they're not just bad. They're terrible. I mean, they're going to struggle to get to seven wins. They are not a good football team. But... It is should be immediately become, when Clay Helton is relieved of his duties, one of the most desirable open jobs in recent memory. The recruiting base speaks for itself. If they're willing to pay top dollar, they should get basically whoever they want. Last time when they had a big opening and Pete left, the sanctions were coming, all they could get were Lane. Then they just made a terrible hire in Sark. The irony of this playoff right now is that once upon a time, Eddie O was the interim coach at USC. Now he's ranked in the top five and has a blue blood program kicking ass. And USC isn't even the best team in California. Like It's pretty wild how everything played out. Eddie O won. But this job, this offseason, again, we talk about these NFL jobs. The USC job is, is like an NFL job. You're an absolute rock star. The program does matter. In a city where football, especially the NFL, has never really mattered that much. Now, Sean McVay's throwing the hat, his hat in the ring, and the Rams are becoming a big deal, but USC is still number one. It goes Lakers, then it goes Dodgers, then it goes USC football. But you can't be 4-4. Four and four. You can't be 7-5. and five. you got to compete to win natties. So they got to get this coaching hire right. I don't necessarily claim to have an answer. I, I personally would go after John Harbaugh. Uh, I, I, I'd rather have Jeff Tedford just to get the program back on the tracks. If he can go 11-1 and one at Fresno, you better believe he can win 10 over 11 games at USC. We know he's recruited a bunch of NFL guys because I watched him at Cal, one of the below-average Pac-12 programs, get him consistently in the top 10, top 15, and produce first-rounders. Now, he is old, and he wouldn't be the sexy name, and he's a 56-year-old that looks like he's 75, but I, I Jeff Tedford, in five years... The USC program would make the playoffs, maybe once or twice. And he would immediately be one of the better coaches in the conference. But you hire Jack Del Rio, I, I, I don't feel bad for you what, what ultimately comes, and that would be not competing for natties. Because that's what the Pac-12, that's what Lynn Swan, that's what the alumni base, like that's the standard. That has to be the standard. That's what they need to do. 
and they got to get this program back on track because I'm a West Coast football homer. I love the Pac-12, though I watch way more SEC and Big Ten football now because it's way better. But uh, we're screwed if USC is not good. And this hire, whenever they do fire Clay Helton, whether that's in a couple weeks, whether that's at the end of the season, is going to be one of the biggest coaching hires out West in recent memory, pro or college. Pro or college. Uh, so again, this these next month for Jim Harbaugh, for us Jim Harbaugh truthers, is huge. He has to take advantage of this. And let's just keep our fingers crossed that USC doesn't hire Jack Del Rio. Okay, let's dive into a couple pro games really quick. That The afternoon slate is excellent. The, the two games in the afternoon on Sunday and then the Sunday night game, it is football porn. I mean, just an incredible six-hour stretch on paper. I, I am really excited. Let's start with the first game. Actually, this is a night game. Let's start with the night game. This is the best game of the weekend. Packers at New England. The Packers are five-and-a-half-point favorite. They're 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. Here's the problem for the Packers. The Bears are playing the Bills, and they're probably going to win. So they would be 5-3. and three. The Vikings are playing the Lions, who actually are not terrible. But let's just assume the Vikings win. They would also then be 4-3-1. and one. Excuse me. I'm off there. They would be, if the Vikings, yeah, the Vikings win, they would be 5-3-1. and one. So they, they'd be in pretty good shape. The Packers, this was a crazy stretch in their schedule. They had to go to L.A. and then to New England. I mean, those might have been two losses at the beginning of the season, just regardless, but this has been a bizarre year. Everything that just happened with Ty Montgomery, from him taking out the the, uh, kickoff, to them him fumbling, to then him being traded. They just trade HaHa Clinton Dix. They're not, like, throwing up a white flag on the season, but they're definitely not all in like the Rams, like the Saints, even like a team like the Eagles or like New England, feels like they are okay with not making the playoffs, which is almost bizarre because Rodgers in the peak of his powers. But New England, this is not a must-win game for New England. Obviously, they are, uh, you know, 6-2. and two, But they do need to hold serve. The Chiefs are playing the Browns. So let's assume the Chiefs, Browns fired everyone. They win to get that number one seed, which could be kind of big. I mean, the difference of playing the AFC Championship game in New England and in Kansas City is a pretty big deal. Now, you would get the home field advantage in the second round no matter what, but you want to hold serve with Kansas City, especially when you beat them head-to-head. So, this is a big game for both teams, but this is borderline must-win for the Packers. Assuming the Bears take care of business in Buffalo and also Minnesota wins, which I ultimately think Minnesota ends up winning the division, but that wild card spot at 9-10 wins could come down to the Bears and the Packers. And the Packers, who can beat the Bears, just head-to-head. Now they did beat them in Game 1 in Lambeau. The second game is in Chicago, obviously. But if you find yourself behind the eight ball and you don't even control your own destiny, that'd be pretty crazy for Aaron Rodgers to miss the playoffs when he does not miss any games. Now, he was hurt. But still, I mean, in the peak of his powers, Aaron Rodgers not making the playoffs. Bye-bye, McCarthy. Uh, Bye-bye a lot of players in this little mini Packer. It's not a dynasty, but they've been a consistent playoff team for the last seven years. I know they missed last year, but that was because Rodgers was injured. Rams-Saints, what an excellent game. You know, the Chiefs lead the league in, in scoring offense. The next two teams, Saints and the Rams. 
Uh, right now, the Saints are averaging 33.4 points, and the Rams are averaging 33. Now, I get the rules have changed, but both these two teams are big time. I think this is more than likely a preview of the NFC Championship game. Uh, I, I still like the Saints. I've been saying all along, if New Orleans goes into L.A., regardless what happens in this game, and I'm getting three or four points, I like my chances with Drew Brees in L.A., which is not a great home field advantage. Now, if this game somehow, which would be hard because they're 8-0, now the Saints have only lost one game, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. They win this game, they would be 7-1, the Rams would be 8-1. They would feel they're in the driver's seat then for the home. I mean, this is a big game for home field advantage. Either way, though, obviously, if somehow the New Orleans would be the number one seed, I would like their chances at home in the Dome in the second and third round, regardless who they play. But I do think if New Orleans was the second seed and they beat whoever in the second round, the Panthers, the Eagles, you name it, doesn't matter. I, I would pick them to win that game. Then they went on the road to the Coliseum. I, I, to me, the Saints are the best team, the most well-rounded team. And the big difference between them and and the Rams is just Brees and Goff. And I like Goff. But, I mean, Drew Brees, you're talking like one of the top ten quarterbacks ever. Jared Goff, last year, he's only played in one playoff game. He did not play well. Now, he's gotten a lot better. But still, the, the pressure, you know, he's never played a big game at Cal. He's played big games at the end of last year, obviously the playoff game, and then this year. But it, it's a different animal in January. So, until he does it, I'm not betting on him. That's simply my logic. And then the last game that I never would have imagined this game would have been good like five or six weeks ago, but it's excellent. Not just on paper, but I'm super excited to watch it. Chargers at Seattle. San Diego, who, as I refer to them, are, is going to be the first wild card in the AFC. They are a really good team. Well, it turns out Seattle might be a wild card team too. They're 4-3. and three. They've, only lost one, they've only played two games at home, and the one of them they lost was to the Rams. But I think they're good. I mean, Russell's a superstar. They can run the ball. Their defense is playing solid. Uh, and I just like their chances at home. Like a couple weeks ago when they played the Rams, the one thing that really stood out to me when I was watching that game is, God, this place is rocking. I make fun of the 12s and because they didn't really come around till six or seven years ago. But when they care, that, that place rocks. I mean, that has an SEC-type vibe to it. Seattle wins this game, and they're 5-3. and three. I'm just going to start looking at them like, yeah, they're a wild card team. They're going to end up 9 or 10 wins. They, they have not played the 49ers yet. So, just they're, they're going to rattle off some wins. I mean, Seattle, if they can somehow beat the Chargers, the Chargers would still be in good shape too at 5-3. At and three. You, you would be talking about one of the great coaching jobs in recent memory. Most people, including myself, thought they had one of the worst rosters in the NFL. Then even their player that I never blamed them for not signing in Earl Thomas then gets hurt. Uh, they don't have many names besides maybe Frank Clark and Bobby Wagner on defense. Uh, Doug Baldwin's been hurt. They did draft Rashad Penny, but he doesn't even get the bulk of the carries. It's Carson. And Russell's just a star, but their offensive line with Mike Solari getting rid of Tom Cable, best thing they ever did. They have been so much better up front. I kind of like Seattle in this game. Uh, they're favored by a point. I don't feel great about it, but I I'm, I'm kind of sneaky on the Seattle bandwagon. Okay, let's get to the Middlecoff mailbag. Always uh, my favorite time. You can slide up in my DMs at John Middlecoff on Instagram, and I will answer your questions right here. Okay, uh, I wanted to hear from the scouts' point of view how to improve an O-line via the draft. How much time do teams actually spend on O-line prospects, and what do you think 
uh, of teams who have battle lines that are doing wrong. I think it's it's a it's a position that's very predicated on the position coach. It's the reason a lot of the best position coaches all make over a million dollars. It's also, I mean, teams spend a ton of time on it. As an area scout, you're in your area, evaluating offensive linemen. You always take them seriously just because there are, you know, it's not like a wide receiver where a team might play two or three guys. Quarterback, there's obviously only one. Corners, there's only a couple. On a college team, if you're at like USC or Notre Dame or whatever, and they got, let's just say hypothetically, they got five seniors. They have five senior offensive linemen prospects. Now, usually they're not all NFL guys. But you you have to evaluate them if the guy is draft eligible very seriously because you see in the NFL a lot of crappy offensive linemen end up playing. It's a very, very tough position to evaluate. Uh, there are obviously certain benchmarks for arm length, uh, things you can see on tape, just foot quickness. You know, offensive line coaches usually play a big role. And definitely the coach, whether he's an offensive head coach or the offensive coordinator on drafting offensive linemen, uh, but th- there is a huge, huge, unquantifiable how tough the guy is. How like I'm just watching Mike McGlinchey play this year for the 49ers. They drafted him number nine overall. The thing I didn't know. Now I think most people assume this because the Notre Dame offensive line had become really physical and tough. Like he is a tough sob. It, it's it'd be hard to knock him out of a game. He is a really, really good player. Uh, and a lot of it is not – he's obviously 6'9 and long and, a, you know, a solid athlete. So, yeah, I, it's a it's a very, very tough, difficult position to evaluate. And it, it obviously changes a lot on what scheme your team runs. Hey, John, big fan. My question for the mailbag is this. As a Browns fan, I go back and forth on whether I like Baker as my starting quarterback. I get why Colin isn't exactly huge because he's not tearing it up. But I also like watching their games this year compared to last year. I feel like we finally have a chance, which is something I haven't felt about the Browns in a while. Do you think the Browns may have passed on the better quarterbacks in terms of actual skill, body, and what they put on the stat sheet to take Baker because of his energy, fire, and because he could be good enough in the NFL in a losing culture? I definitely think his moxie and his fire and his intangible stuff played a big role in them choosing him. I also think they just looked at him like, he was going to be this generation's Drew Brees. And I, I think that's really hard when you draft a guy basing on he's going to be an anomaly. I would have taken Sam Darnold, and I liked Baker a lot, and I'm with you. They have been so much easier to watch this year with Baker Mayfield. And I also am going to give him somewhat of a pass. Hugh Jackson, terrible head coach, obviously fired. Todd Haley and Hugh, I mean, what a bizarre relationship. Not many quarterbacks would have success in that culture. So to me, you won't be able to really judge him until next year. Uh, I am not as low on Baker as Colin is, but I I do agree this. They did not take the better quarterback in the draft. It really is going to go down as an all-time how the Jets started the draft at six, somehow traded up to three, and ended up with Sam Darnold. Like, that, that, that is pretty wild. I still, when I think of it, can't believe that happened because I hated when the Jets made the trade. I'm like, how do you make that trade not knowing who's going to be there? I get making it on draft day, but to make it so early, and to be honest with you, the best thing they ever did was make it so early because if Sam Darnold had fallen there, who knows what the bidding would have been like. Maybe they would have got more than what they actually got from the Jets. And what the Jets gave them was a lot, remember? 
They flipped ones. They gave him two twos that year and one two next year. They gave him three twos. I mean, it was expensive. It was worth every penny for you if you were the Jets. My Just looking back, it was just crazy. They didn't know who was going to be there. Now, maybe they had a decent idea that Dorsey loved Baker Mayfield, but, man, what a, what a coup for if you're a New York Jets fan that you ended up with Sam Darnold. Hey, John, my question is if the Giants did – God, we get a lot of Giants domino effect. Uh, what would have happened if Sam Darnold would have been the guy? Do you think they'd look better now than they would uh, than he does with the Jets? And would the Giants be better off with him over Eli? Well, 1,000% the Giants would be better off with Sam Darnold than they would be with Eli. Now, would he look a lot differently than with the Jets? You'd think, in theory, he does have Odell Beckham, Ingram, Sterling Shepard to throw to. They would not have Saquon Barkley. Maybe they would have drafted a guy in the later rounds. But to me, he's had some huge statistical games with the Jets. I think it's fair to assume that he might have even had bigger games with the Giants because of Odell and some of their wide receivers. But he's still a rookie. You're going to live and die with just terrible passes. But big picture, there is no disputing. There is no argument. Now that Eli is a shell of himself and just washed, that the Giants 1,000% made the wrong, uh, wrong decision. John, NFC East is atrocious. The Cowboys are cautiously incompetent offense. The Eagles are mediocre. The Skins are decent but are boring to watch. And the Giants play high school level football. Love the optimism. My question is, why are they still seeing, seeing non-stop NFC East primetime games? I cannot take any more of Dak or Eli. I understand the division's historical greatness, but when will the schedule makers move them out of the high-level games? It's simple market size. When you put that division, whether it's the Cowboys, whether it's the Giants, whether it's the Eagles, in these primetime games, they rate really high. It's really that simple. It's not about Dak you know, over Russell Wilson or whatever, whatever possible matchup you can make. When you put the Eagles or you put the Giants in a primetime game relative to the Falcons and relative to the Panthers, the NFC East games move the needle. I'm with you. I can't take any more, Eli. I, I'm not. Dak bores the hell out of me, though I'm interested now with Amari there, and the Giants are a snooze fest. But you have to acknowledge that this is ultimately a business and the way they pay their teams this astronomical amount of rev share money every year is basically all because of TV money. And that $250 million is because teams like the Cowboys, teams like the Giants, teams like the Eagles, they do massive ratings. So even when we're pissed off and we're watching Eli, way more people watch an Eli game than they would the Falcons at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, the Houston Texans at the Tennessee Titans. It's, it's just a market share eyeballs, money move. It's not really about the fun of the game and the importance of or just how good Eli Manning is. It's just it's just simply that people watch. And it's sad because I don't know how anyone uh, watches these games because it's terrible. Yo, John, I agree with most of your views. Listen to every pod, but come on, dude. Detroit, I'll give Patricia a clean slate, but man, Stafford has been slightly above average at best as far as football success for his draft pick and pedigree, he's underachieved in a big way, but has the opportunity to put some skins up with Patricia. Possibly. He's Eli Manning without rings. Yeah, I think he's been much better than Eli in the regular season. He's made the playoffs three times in Detroit, one of the biggest joke franchises like in the history of the NFL. 
Uh, he's had absolutely atrocious head coaches from Schwartz to Caldwell's okay to now Patricia. Again, I'm not trying to stick up for Stafford, but if you would have gave him Andy Reid, you would have given him a good off Sean Payton, his chances for success, like to me, he just would have been a much better player. Uh, I, I, I think he's been better than like, you know, the majority of number one overall picks. Has he turned into Elway? Right? No. Has he turned into Peyton Manning? No. But he's like way better. Like Alex Smith. Alex Smith's resume is going to be much better than Matt Stafford's resume in terms of wins. But if you told me that Andy Reid could have picked, you know, five years ago, or Jim Harbaugh could have picked, or the Redskins could have picked, Matt Stafford over uh, Alex Smith, to me, it's a no-brainer. And again, that's showing the bar is not that high. But I, I just think we're discounting a little bit like Matt Stafford's career. It's been better than you're giving him credit for. But I am with you. Like, it does leave something for be desired, given how much money he makes, given how much talent he has, given how much offensive firepower they have consistently had in the organization. Okay, last uh, Middlecoff mailbag, dealing with this little little head cold right here. You know, the voice is, uh, I'm battling through, though. I'm like, uh, Belichick or Parcells would appreciate me. Hard, hard to not dress me on game day. Hey, John, love the insight. Uh, you've kind of touched on this, but how do you see Gruden and McKenzie relationship playing out? If they are that far apart in their first draft with having different draft boards and with Gruden, I'm assuming, trading away McKenzie's favorite players after being the GM of the year, uh, would a general manager ever quit or resign? Or is he going to get fired only? How do you see it playing out because there's no way they can keep going this way? You can't resign. In the NFL, you have contracts. So Reggie McKenzie signed a contract extension a couple years ago. It was probably for four or five years. So even after this season, probably at minimum, he has two years remaining. And I would be shocked if he's not making over a million dollars. So you resign, you don't get the money. If they fire you, they got to pay you. So to me, the only move is him forcing Gruden's hand to fire him. I've also heard that they may just keep him around in the sense that he's not, if he can't find another job, and just bring in a more famous name, a more powerful voice that will basically be Gruden's general manager. And Reggie will just be... Uh, you know, his power has already been neutralized, but will just be there, you know, as a famous name, not necessarily having any power. Again, from a financial standpoint, if no one's willing to pay Reggie McKenzie or give him a powerful job, it doesn't make sense for Reggie. It's just part of the shitty part of the business. Even if you don't enjoy the people you work with, if you're making a lot of money, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. You know, you, I mean, you have a contract. So you can't really just leave, and teams know that you're still under contract, so he's not going to get a general manager job. I, I think it's 50-50 because the owner loves him. Gruden would love to get rid of him, and Reggie, I, I think, does feel a bond and a kinship just with this team. Now less and less because Gruden traded all of his players, but wanted to see this thing tr- through. Uh, but I, I think there's a chance he gets fired. I think there's a zero chance he resigns. And I think there's a chance that they just bring in a someone that is the actual decision maker. I don't know if they call him the general manager, but that basically replaces Reggie. And as long as that's going on, is Reggie still around? 
and Gruden's not listening to him and his title's still the GM and there's someone else around, you're going to continue to have just the dysfunction that they have. And it's it's the reasons that, you know, team like the Raiders, you know, you spend all this money on Gruden. It, it never made sense not to just, you got to just fire Reggie. If you got to pay him $8, $10 million to go away, that's the price of doing business. You paid Gruden $100 million to give him 100% autonomy and power. He didn't wait all these years to come back and work with Reggie. That's that's not what John Gruden, I know he said that, but, and again, I don't want John Gruden picking my players, but if I'm Mark Davis and I'm going to pay him all this money, I need uh, John Gruden to bring in any, and I mean any, person he wants. I, I can't saddle him up with anyone. That that's that's You're wasting every day and Every day this year, they wasted by not letting John Gruden handpick his general manager. They, they, they really did. And it's the reason that this season has been such a disaster and they made some crazy-ass trades that might not have happened. Even if they brought in a new general manager that might have, and this is where personnel people come into play, coaches can do crazy things. And sometimes a personnel you know, director or a general manager, they we view things differently. We just think the long view value talent more than sometimes living in the moment. And yeah, you can trade Khalil Mack for two first rounders. He's Khalil freaking Mack. How is there no one that said, John, this is insane. Let's not trade Khalil Mack. This is not a good idea. But that guy doesn't exist because John wasn't able to bring that guy in. So that is somewhat to me on the owner. Like I, I blame Mark Davis for even creating this drama. He should have done Gruden a favor and just fired Reggie McKenzie. You guys should do me a favor. And slide up in my DMs, Middlecoff Mailbag, every week, at John Middlecoff. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a good weekend. Just great football this weekend. Enjoy college tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Saturday, enjoy it today. I can't wait for LSU Alabama. And and the Sunday slate, especially as the 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, the 1 o'clock games are excellent, and then the Sunday night game, Packers-Patriots. Woo-wee! Can't wait. Enjoy the weekend. Three and out pod. John Middlecoff. I'm out. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. You know in today's world... It seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply.
This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 